1: Chapter 7 of Romans provides for us a unique contrast that only Paul can bring out, the battle of living under the law. That's our subject next, here on Truth For Today. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I can't do. Living under the law. There is a real battle there, and Paul minds the depths of it. We'll do the same here today on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Hi there, and welcome to our program. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, let's catch up with Pastor Phil in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Here's Pastor Phil.
2: Romans 7. And we're going to pick up verse 7 through the end of the chapter. And here are the issues in this chapter. He says in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? The question that theologians and Bible teachers have been divided over for years is who is this wretched man? who is this wretched man? And here has been the most popular common view that I grew up with that it's you as a believer in defeat, that it was commonly called the carnal Christian, the person in verse fourteen. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, which is a terrible translation. It's carnal or fleshly. The law is spiritual, but I am fleshly. And he's not talking about meat on your bones. When he uses flesh many times, it means that ethical, moral evil that animates your body. That fallen humanity apart from God. So that every believer is able to say, the law is spiritual, but I am fleshly. Besides that, I am being sold as a slave to sin. So, what I have grown up in wonderful men, let me tell you, those who take the opposite view, so you know what up I, I'm against. If you read MacArthur's footnote, he takes the opposite view of what I want to give today. So that's pretty big company. Don't write him and tell him I took the opposite view. J.I. Packers, keeping in step with the spirit, takes the Augustinian view, which is the opposite of what I am going to tell you today. John Stott, James Boyce, Giants, But I was influenced by uh, a Greek exegete out of uh, Regents uh, by the name of Gordon Fee and also by Douglas Moo out of Trinity. So we are in good company no matter which view you fall on. So maybe it's not a live or die issue, but I rejoice at what I think it means. I rejoice at what it means for the Christian life. Uh, I want to try to teach today. I don't have three R's and a poem. Uh, You know what? Sermons don't set people free. Four D's and a broken pulpit doesn't save anybody. What saves is the truth. I want you to know the pulpit. I'm not trying to impress you with homiletics. I taught homiletics. But what I've seen the longer I go, it's what the text means. It's truth that will set you free, not how slick my outline is. It's what it means. And that's the hard mental work. I've preached long enough. I could reach into my four cabinets at home and get some worn out, rusty outline. But I dared to study this again. And guess what? God pulled a surprise on me. He said, I'm going to change you totally in what you think it means. That, that, that's weird. In your 60s, you're supposed to be infallible. I'm having struggle with my wife. Pray for her. I have not convinced her nor God. Uh, but as she gets sanctified, her eyes will get clearer. What am I doing? She's not even in this sermon. Forget that. Edit. Edit out of the sermon. I'm warming up. Look at what he says. He's been talking in chapters 5, and he tells us what justified saints got. They got all these blessings. Chapter 5, 12, we are not seen in Adam, we're seen in Christ. Chapter 6 says, we've been identified with Christ. We died to sin in our substitute. We've been raised to newness of life. Uh, we're no longer slaves of sin. We're no longer under the law. Did he not say that? Well, if you, if you know what the chapter means, you know. If you just rush to a dinner, you don't. But if you got it, if you listen to any of this preaching and teaching, you know that Romans 6 says, We have been joined with Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. Did he not say that? Read the chapter this afternoon and see if he does. Then he starts 7, 1 through 6 to explain... 614 and 615. We're under grace, not under law. What does that mean? Chapter 7. And he starts in. And he tells this marriage illustration. He applies it. That we're no longer joined to the law. But we have died with Christ. We're free. Now, he's going to begin in verses 7 through verse 25. To give you an autobiographical description of what it was like for he, as a devout Jew, and I take the I in this chapter, to not just be Paul alone, but Paul in community with Israel, who lived under the law. So the I struggle of Paul was the struggle of every devout Jew who lived under the law. They lived under the law. They could delight in the law. But he's going to show you the personal frustration he had and what all who lived under the law had. Watch what he says. The first thing is 7 through 13, the law, God took something good to show that I'm bad. God took something good to show us that we're bad. Watch what he's did. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Why would he raise that question? Because his accusers the Judaizer says, you're making the law evil. You teach grace is to free from the law, so the law must be evil. That's what you say, Paul. And he said that in Romans 3.8. We're accused of teaching license and the law is bad. Is it bad? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known What sin was except through the law. And that word for know here is probably I would not have experienced what sin was had not there been a law that forbid it and gave it boundaries. I came to experientially know my sin by the instrument of a righteous law. For I would not have known what coveting is really was, if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, that is the sin principle in me, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. And he uses this word dead like it's inactive. It's lying dormant. It's like a dead man. But when the law came, the commandment, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy. Because its author is holy. God. And the it's righteous and good. Question. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin. It produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandment. Sin might become utterly sinful. The law of God, the righteous legislation of God, the righteous expectations of God. What what a result. Did you know what Israel said the first time they heard the law? We will do all that the Lord our God has commanded. Exodus 19. Bring it on. Bring it on. We will keep everything he's commanded. No big deal. Bring it on, Moses. Yippee. We've got the 15 steps of how to be a unique nation and live under a theocracy. All we needed was divine legislation. And we've got it made now. We didn't have this set of laws down in Egypt. But now we've got the divine rules for how to live for God in everything from hygiene to keeping the sabbath to what we can eat bring it on bring it on and by the time god inscribed with his finger on the tablets and moses goes down in exodus 33 and 34 and he brings the tablets to them he says what is this noise that i hear joshua It sounds like somebody's having a party and they get down there. And while Moses has been on the mount for 40 days and brings down the sacred legislation. Aaron has made a golden calf to celebrate the God who got them out of Egypt. And they said, one of the gods of Egypt, the calf, is what got us across the Red Sea. And so when they read the law, 3,000 people were slain who were in that idolatry and in in that uh, sexual orgy before this God and were the very reading of the law for the first time, they were slain. And so they would be forever. Under the law, what did it do? It's good. It's righteous and holy. And I love what Paul, this devout Jew, said. I got through all Nine of the Ten Commandments. And guess which one slew me? Covetousness. And covetousness was the rabbinic one that they said represented all of the law. For it was the word epithumia, strong desires for anything other than the right, when it's used in a negative sense. It can be used strong desires for good, But it came to be used, when I want something so bad, I won't stop to get it. I would kill to get it. I would steal to get it. I want your wife so bad that I'm going to steal her and commit adultery with her. That's what the Ten Commandments were talking about. Well, you can't commit adultery without covetousness. You've got to want something that's not yours. You can't steal from your neighbor unless covetousness is working in you. You see, the greatest problem in all of us right here is a covetous spirit, which Colossians says is idolatry. We've exalted something in our life higher than God wants it to be. And we've got to have it. We've got to get it. We've got to get more. We've got to get more of it. We've got to take even what God's forbidden because it goes all the way back to a couple in paradise. And God says, don't and covetousness, took over, and it emptied paradise. We got evicted from paradise because this is the bit in our nature. If it is forbidden, it must be fun. If it's not fun, God would not have prohibited it. So we said, I heard the command. (coughs) I'm clear on the prohibition. I don't lack knowledge, but I've got something in this nature Excuse me. There's something in this nature of mine. Don't be telling me what's forbidden. Because the forbidden fruit doubles its worth in the eyes of the covetous. And so Paul tells in this eye, he's describing Israel and himself. One time we were alive without the law. What's that? That's probably from Adam to Moses. There was a time we had no law. And sin and rebellion wasn't as marked in us as a people. Some make this so biographical that they don't see anybody included in it but Paul. But I understand it to be including all of us who have lived under the law have had this experience Alive at one time, apart from the law. But when that which was good and holy and righteous came to us, we found what was good slew us. What was righteous proved us to be bad. For what the law did not have any ability to control is there is a sin principle in the fallen race of Adam that law cannot control. And he's going to deal with three laws in Romans 7 through chapter 8. The law of God, the law of sin, and what he calls the law of the Spirit in chapter 8. In the law, there's no power. In the sin principle, there's no good. And in the Holy Spirit, there's no defeat. And unless you come under the sphere of the Spirit... There's no hope. And by the way, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit in all of this description that seems biographical and also representative of his people. It was the sin nature under pure law what will happen. It will just seize the opportunity to thrust us to the ground, the most moralistic one of us, and prove you are a sinner. For the law was never intended to save. It was intended to reveal How bad we really are in light of our righteous standard. Galatians said it was to be a schoolmaster that led us to a savior. You need a savior for the law proves you've broken it over and over again. The law, McGee used to say, was like a mirror. It could show you the dirt on your face, but it wasn't the soap to get it off. You need some soap. It can reveal what's wrong with you, but it didn't have the answer until it pointed the way to Messiah. Then we pick up verse 14. He says something in the midst of this struggle and this seeming defeat of what's going on in him. He said, we know that the law is spiritual. That's quite a statement because he just said it showed us to be criminals, but there's nothing wrong with the law. His critics said, you said something's wrong with the law. Nothing's wrong with the law. It's the people living under it that something's wrong with. Right? The speed limit isn't bad. It's those who don't pay any attention to it. Right? Nothing wrong with the law. It's there for our protection. It's there for the general good of all. And he said, lawless men need law. To bring them under control. 1 Timothy 1. The law was made for the lawless. Abiding good citizens don't need the law. But crooks do. We've got to have boundaries. But now he makes this conclusion. The law is spiritual. Now let's take this in the view that this is describing the Christian life. If this is describing the Christian life. We would then say. But I am fleshly. Sold as a slave. Under the bondage of sin. Look at verse 17 in chapter 6. But thanks be to God. That though you used to be. Slaves to sin. Is that in your Bible? You used to be slaves to sin. When was the used to? Be- before you got saved? I, I think it's accurate. Before you were saved, you were seen as a slave to sin. But then you wholeheartedly believed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, primarily the gospel. You have been set free from sin. And you've become slaves to righteousness. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin. Past tense. You were free from the control of righteousness. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin. How can we run over and read verse 14. As though that's us. Now it's one or the other. Because this spiritual Fleshly contrast that he's making is severe he's not saying you're acting fleshly no you are a slave to the flesh now he's going to say in Romans 8 5 through 8 that if you walk in the flesh you're about to eternally perish not talking about discipline for the believer if you are in the realm of the flesh you're in the realm of eternal damnation there's only two spheres. You're either walking in the spirit, or, and in are a spirit person, or you walk in the realm of the flesh. And there ain't no middle ground. And that's the weakness of those who've bought all this carnal stuff that says, I'm in a third category, that I get to do a little bit of both, but I'm neither one. No, no, you're in one sphere or the other, according to Romans. You're in the spirit, or you're in the flesh, as to your position Now we're told in Romans six, act like you're in the spirit, act like you're joined to Christ. You've got to obediently carry out your position in your walk. But I don't believe verse 14 describes the Christian. I am not a slave to sin, for that has ended in my union with Christ. Objectively, I'm working it out in my daily life but I have a free status before God. So what does he do? He says, being this kind of a man, a fleshly man, who is not spiritual, a man that is a slave to sin, let me tell you the psychological battle that I went through living under the law and what all of Israel experienced living under the law. And here we go. Now, I think why this is so commonly treated for Christians is we all have had those tug-of-war struggles with sin. We do struggle with sin. We all know that. And it's going to say here this battle between desiring and doing. I mean, we have that battle all the time, don't we? I mean, I'm sitting there, I said, man, I sure would like to have a cup of coffee. I hope she comes through the front room at this time. I don't like desire, I like the doing. And if she's really prayed up and spiritual, she'll sense my need. Well, let me tell you, the longer you're in a marriage, you better get some doing too. Just desiring is not enough. Desiring has got to be matched with doing. And so it's going to show you this whole, I desire, don't you see people that go through this life? I really desire to be great, but I just can't get out of bed in the morning. Well, they not a wonderful desire? You lazy outfit, you... I desire. Desire's not enough. It's the doing. And so he's going to describe a guy <coughs> that he desires to be godly, but he doesn't. And he's just a psychological warfare going on. Because the law of God brings out in the sinner another law, the law of sin. And the two of them in the room together, you will be thrown to the mat every time without obedience and in defeat lie on the mat.
1: Understanding who we are before God and what God requires, and how God makes that requirement possible through His own Son. All found here in the book of Romans as we continue our verse-by-verse survey of this amazing book here on Truth For Today. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. You'll also be able to find out more about Valley Bible Church here in Hercules, who we are, what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.